You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. You hear that? That's the sound of fresh bacon sizzling on the grill here at Eggs Up Grill. Hear that? That's one of our new delicious grilled melt sandwiches. And that's a burger hot off the grill, ready to be served. Mm-hmm. And that's the sound of it being served. At Eggs Up Grill, we serve tasty lunches like mac and cheese bowls, sandwiches, salads, wraps, plus all our delicious brunch dishes. Here you go. Enjoy your lunch. Hear that? That's us being happy to see you. Eggs Up Grill. It's everything to make you smile. This podcast of the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour presented by Firehouse Subs is sponsored by AAA Heating and Air. Attention homeowners, due to upcoming government regulations, the current energy efficiency ratings for HVAC systems will change. Current inventory cannot be sold after December 31st. As the year 2023 starts, customers can expect to pay an average of 30% more for a new HVAC unit that will meet the new government regulations. So what does this mean for you, the customer? There's no better time to purchase a new HVAC system. AAA Heating and Air must empty their warehouse to make room for the new systems. No deals will be turned down. With their 15-year parts and labor warranty plus guaranteed financing, they have made it possible for anyone to get a new system. Call today and enjoy your new home comfort as quickly as tomorrow. But you can only get this special deal by calling 803-677-1500. AAA Heating and Air wants to give you their best deal possible on a new HVAC unit, but you have to call today. 803-677-1500. And tell them you heard about this deal on 107.5 The Game's Gamecock Central Podcast. AAA The Gamecock Central Takeover Hour, presented by Firehouse Subs, founded by Firemen with Pearson Fowler. This has been in the works for a while. We're really excited to officially have the Gamecock Central Hour. Chris Clark. And JJ has accepted an invite to the Senior Bowl already, which is awesome, uh, Reese's Senior Bowl. And Wes Mitchell. Um, I think he's well above 200 in the, like, the 210 range. Uh, a dude in the weight room, too, like from a strength standpoint. On the home of the Gamecocks, 107.5 The Game. The game. Eleven oh two Wednesday morning. It's the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour here on one hundred seven five. The game and welcome in Pearson Fowler, Chris Clark, Wes Mitchell here with you talking some Carolina football. Here, Shane Beamer and a bunch of players had their media availability for the week yesterday. Marcus Satterfield, Clayton White, Pete Limbo all expected to speak this afternoon. The coaches and players' final thoughts on the Florida game. Starting to look ahead towards Tennessee as well, South Carolina, uh, big underdogs in that one. And uh, guys, l- let me go ahead and start you there because it felt like we were flirting with this last week. I, I was, it was, it was the running joke of the of the hour last week that Wes said that Carolina wasn't going to beat Florida, and as it turns out, Wes was right. But we got like to Thursday, and I was like, "But what are we talking about? Like, there is a football game that's going to be played." And it's not a guarantee that Florida's going to run for 560 yards and, you know, just obliterate South Carolina. Just because it happened doesn't mean that was the only thing that was going to happen. But, Chris, it seems like there's this inevitability that has unfortunately set in. And, yes, it's a long shot for Carolina to beat Tennessee, and it's a long shot for Carolina to beat Clemson. But, I mean, like, there's there's still a football game being played, and it, it feels like everyone's just focused on the postseason right now, on the offseason, mm-hmm. which is unfortunate because there's still two more football games. Yeah, it's kind of like, um, I don't know, 
just in you bringing it up, the first thing that came to mind is kind of you've got maybe a professional team like an NFL team, and it's evident that they're not going to contend this year. And so then you start thinking about, um, you know, free agency, and you think about trades, and you think about the draft, and, and you're kind of thinking about the offseason. Maybe you're thinking about coaching changes, all those types of things, and probably some similarities there, right? And And it's a little different because, I mean, like last season, sure, there was conversations, of course, about recruiting and the transfer portal and the possibility of coaching changes. I mean, that that kind of was on the table at the at this same point last year, but it's really intensified, you know, because it is year two. So I, I think there's maybe a little bit of a parallel there. Um, there's there's hope in all those things. Mm. I think, and, and yeah. that's why. I mean, um, I think it was uh, who's the really Brian Curtis you know, from the ringer in Grantland back in the day, he would always talk about the the, the trade era um, and just kind of how people are so... Th- there's a reason that stuff's so popular. There's a reason that Wes and I, when we talk about recruiting, people like that. Um, that's a big part of our jobs. There's a reason that, you know, Adam Schefter and Woj and all these people, like, tweeting out some trade you know, and, and it gets massive traffic is because it's, it's something different and it's hope. And so, yeah, it is interesting. I mean, I, I think, again, intensified from last year. And also when you look at just these last two games, we know South Carolina will play in a bowl game, which is great. They need that, obviously. But you look at these two games and just the opponents, uh, the matchups, how good they are to, you know, fringe playoff teams. Um, I think all that kind of adds up in the pod and, and that's where we are right now. Wes, the three of us have and probably will continue to talk about Marcus Satterfield's role on the staff. It's it's become almost a singularity in terms of people's interest. And there are other things to talk about in terms of positive on this team. There are other areas of this team to criticize, especially the run defense. You can talk about the quarterback play, offensive line play, whatever. Like There are so many things that are worth talking about. And I, I understand that like we are sort of driving the narrative here. But like when I say Marcus Satterfield, the phone line just goes... And the text line goes, and when I say Carolina's playing a football game against Tennessee, it's like, it's crickets. So I say all that to say, Wes, we, we, the three of us can talk and, and argue and may not even change each other's minds about whether or not it was the right decision to move on from Marcus Satterfield last season or after the Missouri game or after Florida. But will we look back and feel like, offensive performance aside, that it that not making that decision earlier kind of robbed the fan base of an opportunity to focus on something other than that? Because it has become a fixation, and I think deservedly so, but it's the only thing the fan base seems to care about right now. Yeah, I think it is. And, uh, you know, it's unfortunate because you got the number five team in the land coming to your place to play a night game with uh, Kirk Herbstreet on the call. And generally that would be something where, you know, that, that there would be a buzz in town right now. And, um, I dare say it's something you can like literally feel going into a big game in this town, and I don't know that I feel that right now. Like, yeah, the the fans are going to show up on Saturday. They they always do. Um, it'll be a good atmosphere, but um, the the focus is is on the offense, is on the future, and is on what happens next. And I, I think that's very unfortunate because we, um, you know, we we look at these. Um, opportunities you get every year you only get so many chances to go watch your team play and um you know we we discuss games if you're a sports fan 
all off season leading up to the season and, and hope and uh, sort of allow yourself to dream a little bit about best case scenario, what that could look like. Unfortunately, you know, it has not played out like that. And I think because there was, uh, you know, there was some reason to dream prior to this season and the fans allowed themselves to um, take that and run with it a little bit. South Carolina got quite a bit of hype at SEC media days where they were discussed not, you know, nobody was picking South Carolina to win the East, but as sort of that dark horse, is this a team that could compete? Is this a team that uh, could sort of factor in and at least maybe knock off um, a, a team that was competing for the East? And the fact that it has not played out that way and, and fans, I don't want to say apathy has completely set in, but there is a segment of the fan base that, um, you know, has sort of checked out, I yeah. feel like, as far as this actual well, season goes. And I, and I would say, like, it's it's not apathy. Like, the last, like, the end of the Will Muschamp tenure was apathy, where people really yes. didn't care. Like, it's good that people are frustrated, and then they're looking ahead to a hopefully brighter future. But I, I will agree, there, there seems to be a sense of inevitability that is set in with the way that this season's going to end and what's going to transpire. You know, I, I saw... Just scrolling Twitter, I guess a popular fan account. I don't know exactly who runs it or what it is, but you know, already saying, "Hey, here's what the staff should look like next year." And it's like you have you have at least, I mean, not at least, you have three more football games left. Like you yeah. do, mm-hmm. like you have to play those. And again, like I, I can sit here and make the football argument for why Shane Beamer should have moved on for Marcus Satterfield already. I, I, it's dangerous to let the decisions in the building be dictated by the fan base. But I, I think Shane Beamer is kind of. He's bringing grief on himself. Like people are way more critical of Shane Beamer right now than they were this time last year because they're just so fed up with the ineptitude of the offense. And it's a shame because that's avoidable. Like he could have avoided the flack that he is that he's receiving right now. And I just I don't know if we'll ever get an explanation for for why the timing was what it was. But you know, your colleague Colin Taylor even asked Shane Beamer yesterday, and he, you know, frankly just didn't give a particularly satisfying answer as to his philosophy on making those changes within the season. Like the fans shouldn't be the one making personnel decisions, but at some, at some point, like this kind of inevitability and not quite apathy, like setting in, like, should that have an influence? Should that have an influence on like the fans shouldn't get to determine who gets hired and fired. <laughs> Cause then someone will be fired every single week and every single week, the back oh, yeah. quarterback will be starting. But is the, <laughs> yeah. is there a line where the noise gets to be enough that you, that maybe you do have to say, Okay, like this is going to happen. Let me just go ahead and do it to like get the heat off of me because right now there's more heat on Shane Beamer than you would expect in year two. Yeah, I mean, I, I think let, let's be honest. As social media has grown and grown and grown and grown, we, I mean, we've seen social media affect, like literally affect coaching hires. Mm-hmm. Um, Cristiano, Tennessee. Yeah. yeah, we have seen it end. What was about to be an official coaching hire. So yeah, of course it has. In effect, uh, no, I think there there is a very fine line here. Like I, I think, you know, last year a lot of people wanted Beamer to go ahead and make the move at OC, and um, you know he sort of stood his ground and did what he felt was best. Um, however, you know when you and you you can't you can't make decisions based on the Twitter mob, hmm, right? Um, however. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it sounds so silly to say, but when you go against the Twitter mob um, and then it doesn't work out, it only gets sort of the response gets amplified. And right. I, I do think, you know, you kind of have to, you almost have to try to 
I guess, determine what what is just, hey, these are the loudest people. You know what I'm saying? Like, these are the loudest, I don't know, 10%. Let's yeah, grab a minority. Yeah, they, they're just louder. Mm-hmm. They're just yelling louder mm-hmm. versus what is, this is how my entire fan base who monetarily supports everything we do here, this is how most of them feel. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think they're, that when when 95% of your fan base feels a certain way, yeah. then, yeah, I think there is some valid, um, not that they even know, not that they're in the building, not that they know about the X's and O's, but if they're supporting what you do, they're your, they're your, they're your unofficial board of trustees. You know, like they're the people supporting what you do. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I think it is valid. Now you can't, you can't listen to the, to the person that the first three and out of the season <laughs> starts yelling, why did you, why'd you run the ball up the middle? But you know, that that's yeah. ridiculous. But that, that's, that's kind of the comes with part of it. But I, I guess I'll say two things. Like one, the three of us like really deal with, I mean, we, we deal with a lot of South, I say deal with, but like our interactions are with a lot of South Carolina fans, but y'all running central and us here on one of seven, five, the game, like the people that we're interacting with are, are like more invested, I guess, than your casual fan. Like we mostly yes. deal with the diehards, but it just feels like the conversation, you know, just casually with my friends, family members, like when you're talking to your grandparents and it's like, Oh, do you think they're going to get a new offensive court? It's like, yeah. Okay. Now it feels like it has, kind of pervaded the rest of the fan base. The other part of this is I don't think anyone's any under the illusion that Marcus Satterfield is going to be back next year anyway. So it's not like the the fan base, the vocal minority, the Twitter mob, whatever, is making this decision. It seems like this is going to happen in all likelihood, and, and I think people just hate waiting for something that is inevitable. No, I, I agree with that thought. And I, I, think, um, I think some of it also is... A, the, the way these, you know, in two of the last three games, the loss to Missouri, the loss to Florida, the way those games played out, um, I think has led to some of the frustration as well because it was kind of like, with all the talk about the offense all year long, it was kind of like, well, that's what I thought was going to happen, and now it did. Not not that people were predicting Missouri to do that, but you you know what I mean as far as just offense, offense not giving you a chance to win either of those games. And... So I think part of it, too, is that you just went through a Will Muschamp era where the offense never truly got off the ground consistently either. So people are just tired of this conversation about the offensive coordinator. It has been going on. It has been going on since... 2015. Since Kurt Roper was hired. And then... You get the, well, wow, this is exactly what I thought it was going to be when Kurt Roper got yeah. hired. And then it was, well, it, I mean, literally even down to, well, do you make a move after one year, you know, with Roper? Mm-hmm. So I, I think that's part of it. Some some of it is out of Beamer's hands in that this is just a fan base that has watched offense right, be pretty – Watch it struggle for, but, but, for but more. But you can't, often you can't divorce it from the context. Like it's not fair to Shane Beamer that he's inheriting this baggage, but that doesn't mean that it doesn't exist. What well, no, I'm saying, when, it does when, exist. when you move on from Will Muschamp, a defensive-minded guy, you bring in Shane Beamer, and it's like, yeah, Beamer's a special teams guy. But what did everybody fixate on? Oh, he's coming from Oklahoma. 
He's been coaching with Lincoln Riley. He's going to bring that offensive system. It's like when you have a when you have a coach that's all offense and no defense, everyone just wants to see you get a stop on third down. When you have a coach that's all defense and no offense, you just want to see some points get scored. So people were hoping and expecting, you know, if Carolina was going to lose, maybe they were going to be losing 45 to 24, not 13 to 3 or 16 to 10 like that Kentucky game last year, and it just hasn't been to your point, like the one thing that people have most wanted to see, I think also probably fair to say, it's probably just really hard to make like a really, really good offense. Like, oh, no it, doubt. Are Kurt Ripper, yeah. Brian McClendon, Mike Bobo, and Marcus Satterfield all terrible? Or is it like harder than we realize? Are there some other variables? Or is Carolina just like, just consistently pick the worst offensive coordinator candidates <laughs> they, available? Well, they had, they had, I mean, Mike Bobo had a track record, right? Yeah. Now he did not inherit Todd Gurley and, you know. Yeah. Um, Although he about turned Kevin Harris into him. Yeah, I mean, they, feast or famine, you know, but, like, it, they had one year, I mean, 2018, right? They averaged 30 points a game, but even then, there were some struggles within the season, mm-hmm. you know, certainly. Um, but they were able to put up some points a year, but, yeah, that, that's kind of about it out, out of those years as far as, like, a consistently, like, a good, quote-unquote good, not mm-hmm. great, offensive team. But I think, to your point, Adding on to that about, like, the expectations, you know, especially in year two, regardless of the OC, the the expectations were heightened because of what you did in the transfer portal, Mm -hmm. namely the quarterback that you brought in and not a guy that was just a concept or an idea, not just a former five, not not a five-star freshman or a five-star who had a lot of talent and kind of flamed out at his previous stop. Spencer Rattler had a huge year Mm -hmm. in 2020. Yeah, and I know we got to go to break, I'm sure, but um, we do sometimes lose sight of that. It is it is hard to put together a good offense, and you see Carolina recruit, you know, these four-star guys, and you say, well, that's a good player. I see him make plays. We look around, every other team in the SEC has some good players as well. So it's it's not easy by any means. I think, I think the frustration for Carolina fans is when you see – um, you know, Chris had the stats about what some other teams had done to Florida, and then you look at South Carolina not being able to do, not even close to it. Yeah. I think is the frustration. It's it's one thing when you're you're close and you're moving the ball and you're still putting up some points. It's another entirely when you're doing what we've seen, you know, two of the last three weeks. Well, and, and, and not to totally put a pin in this, because I'm sure we'll come back to it and want to hear your thoughts as well. Eight hundred three four zero four sixty one hundred. But I like fans would love the opportunity to be arguing about uh, like a third down call or a couple of bad calls on a drive that represented the difference in scoring 27 and 34 and not literally not scoring on offense. Like there's a chasm between those two things. And if you're arguing about, oh, Marcus Satterfield doesn't call the right plays in crunch time or make the right adjustments, but you're scoring 28 points a game, you know, the, the fan base would love to, to have that kind of like discontent with the offense, but it's just it's it's just not even close. 803-404-6100, Twitter as well. The World Tournament of Soccer kicks off next week in Qatar, and to make sure you're up to speed, we present Qatar Kickaround. All this week, the Kickaround guys are providing a primer of episodes for those watching their very first World Tournament or anybody who just wants to learn more. And group previews all the way from A through H and predicting how they'll turn out. Will the U.S. even get out of their group? Will we get a surprise first-time winner? Or will we get the storybook ending of Messi finally lifting the trophy? Andy, Peter, and Lars are your soccer friends from the group stage to the final, all available at thekickaround.com or wherever you listen. 
You hear that? That's the sound of fresh bacon sizzling on the grill here at Eggs Up Grill. Hear that? That's one of our new delicious grilled melt sandwiches. And that's a burger hot off the grill ready to be served. Mm-hmm. And that's the sound of it being served. At Eggs Up Grill, we serve tasty lunches like mac and cheese bowls, sandwiches, salads, wraps, plus all our delicious brunch dishes. Here you go. Enjoy your lunch. Hear that? That's us being happy to see you. Eggs Up Grill. It's everything to make you smile. Pearson Fowler at West Mitchell GC at GC Chris Clark. A few more thoughts on Carolina. Big picture. What we heard from Shane Beamer, several players yesterday, and starting to look ahead to Tennessee next. It's the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour, presented by Firehouse Subs, founded by firemen with Pearson Fowler, Chris Clark, and Wes Mitchell on the home of the Gamecocks, 107.5 The Game. 23 minutes after 11 o'clock on a Wednesday morning. It is Wednesday, my dudes. Pearson, Chris, Wes here with you. It's the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour, talking Carolina, Tennessee. Starting to look ahead, trying to make some sense out of the game. Carolina's a big underdog. They're going to need some uh, some stuff. Wes already has, uh, he, he already knows what the key is. I just have some things to say. Say them. So uh, earlier you told us that um, the coordinators are going to talk today. And what you meant to say was that Broyles Award finalist, Pete Limbo. That's right. Ding is going to speak to the media. And um, it was, I believe, fairly well publicized, I think maybe last week, that in those ESPN efficiency uh, ratings that the South Carolina special teams is number one in the country. And I don't know how those things are formulated. Um, I'm not that smart. But I was doing a little bit of digging yesterday, and I came across, I don't know if y'all are aware of this site, footballoutsiders.com, another pretty prominent analytics site. And uh, I was curious uh, to see the carryover. So go on over. They have special teams efficiency ratings on there as well. Lo and behold, South Carolina, also the number one special teams in the country on this site as well. So I thought that was interesting, intriguing. Worth mentioning in a week that um, I don't think we're going to be talking a ton of X's and O's about South Carolina versus (laughs) Tennessee. Yeah. Yeah, probably not. Um, a lot of a lot of talk this week too about the overtures that P. Limbo will likely get this off season. Um, I'm I'm never going to pretend to know what coaches want to do, what their motivations are. He's been a head coach. I get the feeling that he's happy here. And the other thing is, not how many teams around the country do have a specific special teams coordinator. Like I guess if you're going after P. Limbo, you're hiring him to do that. But I don't know how many coaching staffs are are like carving out that spot necessarily. I guess I'm just talking myself into Carolina having a good chance to keep him, but most teams don't seem to have a specific person for that. Well, first of all, if you're South Carolina, protect Pete at all costs. Yeah. I don't know what you have to pay him, but um, you know, I, and you know, we're speculating. I don't think another program is going to be able to come in and, and poach limbo to go coach special teams. I think the real thing there would be that this is somebody who's been a head coach before. And, um, you know, frankly, talks like a head coach. Uh, listen to his press conference today. Um, he's going to give an opening statement. I was going to say, he's the only person besides Shane that has an opening statement. It's going to be thorough. It's going to be thoughtful. It's going to be informative. And um, it's going to give you an idea of what's been going on and what's about to happen with his special teams. And, you know, he he approaches special teams with a holistic approach in that 
everything he does on special teams is designed to make the players better um, on offense or defense, whichever one uh, you know they play on, respectively. So he he has a head coach mindset. Mm-hmm. Um, he has a head coach approach and 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 how organized he is. Uh, I think so. That would be the concern, I think, from a South Carolina perspective is what smaller school might come in and say, you know, wow, this guy is impressive. Let's let's let him run our entire program. As far as your actual question, I don't know the exact split on special teams. I, you know, as far as which programs have an actual coordinator and, you know, which which teams have a coordinator where that's all they ask that coach to do. How many of them split it up? I mean, there are some teams that literally just like split up all the duties, um, which I I could all but guarantee the teams that do that aren't that great <laughs> special teams. Yeah, Pete Limbo tends to expose them. Kentucky is one of those. Or if you have a guy, Georgia State, their special teams coach, his first year as a special teams coach, he was just a position coach in the past. Not well, trying to welcome. Sing. Uh, yeah, here you go. Go that deal is, with Pete. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> a lot, Game a lot, one. A lot of good tape for him. Uh, he, 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 hope he wrote Pete a thank you. Hey, thanks for all the good tape on how to not block punts. How to do things. <laughs> yeah. Um, by, by the way, I thought this was kind of cool. This one actually breaks it down into all the different um, punt or all the different special teams units. Like punt, punt coverage, kick, kick coverage. Yeah. The, the only one that South Carolina is not way up there. Can I guess? Yes. PAT. It doesn't break it down to PAT. Oh, okay. It's kick, kicking or field goal kicking um, is as far as it goes in that. But it's actually, and I I don't really understand this one, um, based on my eye test, is uh, kickoff efficiency. So that would be kickoff coverage, hmm. basically. But yeah. most of theirs go through the end zone. Like, I can't, yeah. I, I can't think of hardly... It feels like the ones that have been short have been kind of by design. Yeah, I don't know. What, I don't know what the opponent's long return is. Yeah, that not very long. What's the longest kick return anyone's had against them this year? I don't probably know. no more than thirty or. 40? So, so I my the eye test doesn't really match the number there because they're like eightieth in that. Whoa, uh, but but it, it gets the reason they're the number one special teams is that. Um, kickoff return efficiency, mm-hmm. they're 23rd country. Um, punt return efficiency, they're second. Um, punt efficiency, they're fifth. Field goal efficiently, efficiency, they're fifth. And then opponent's field goal efficiency, they're 16th. Hmm. So top five in several stats and then top 25 in all of them except the one. Where are they in punt return? You probably just said it. But I, I was said looking second up in second. punt return efficiency. Yeah. Do you know that? Do, do you have that number in front of you? Is what it is? The average I mean, yardage of an opponent? No, as I, I do. This is an analytics number. the <laughs> The number they give is point two six, but that without context, I have no idea what mm-hmm. that. Y'all have means. some guesses as to what the opponent's punt return yardage average is this season? I have a guess, but I don't want to. You know. You know how no. you like. Like over guess something and then you ruin like the over guess oh. <laughs> like like, like yeah, you you ruin like, the you make it sound even better yeah, than, yeah. and then it, yeah. so it sounds worse then it's like well no it's it wasn't that expensive it, 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 okay <laughs> I'll I'll spoil it'll be incredible even if you over guess it 
Okay. It's, not, it's, it's still going to look impressive. Negative point six. <laughs> wow. I might have been wrong. I was going to say three, three yards. Yeah, it's 2.6. <laughs> Other side, South Carolina's averaging uh, 18.7. And it's not like they've been super explosive on punt returns, right? They've even had, what, one or two long ones that have been called back. Mm-hmm. That is a great number. 2.6. That's insane. Well, Josh Van either fair catches it or he gets like 15 yards. The eight, which probably means he's... Making pretty good decisions, I guess. Oh, yeah. um, I mean, he's he's like, the best punt returner that Carolina's has since Ace Sanders, I think, and he hasn't shown the dynamicism. But that's about as sure-handed a punt returner as you will ever see. That that catch he made, um, I think that was a Missouri game. Fingertips. Yeah, guy was in his yeah. face, and he just nonchalantly was like stuck his hands out and just kind of caught the bottom of the ball towards the bottom of its trajectory. Mm-hmm. I was like, man, that's some confidence mm-hmm. right there. Yeah, I think he's catching really a a punt. Might be one of the low key hardest things to do in sports. Horrifying, I think. Like the ball is going up in weird trajectories. It's spinning weird. Mm-hmm. You're looking up into lights that are probably different depending on every single stadium. And hey, guess what? You got these dudes running full speed at you. Yeah, pretty tough. You got to have some guts to be a punt returner. I respect anybody who can do that job. I love it. I think it's fun. That was, that was actually my job, the, like whatever the rugby equivalent of that is. And it's a bigger ball, I guess, so it's easier to catch. But there's also no fair catches unless you're win- inside your own 22. Um, it's exhilarating. The 22, very yeah. specific. Yeah, the 22-meter mark. Yeah, 22-meter oh, meter meter mark. Yeah, yep. meters, that's why. Yeah, there yeah. you go. Um, yeah, shout-out Josh Van. Very, very good punt returner for South Carolina. No, that, will be, that will be missed and hard to replicate. Josh Van year. also now number 19 in school history in receptions all time. If he gets seven more catches, he will be in the top 15. Really? That's yes. a weird stat, I told Wes, because South Carolina's had a lot of really good <laughs> receivers. Hmm. Number yeah. 16 is a man who stood right over there yesterday, Brian Rest Brewer. Rest Thorn. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> um, 107 career receptions as a catch for Ryan. Career. Hmm. Uh I don't think that. I don't I think, think Preston got offense. the tight end goal line. No, no, like like a ball bounced off somebody and he caught it and ran it for like one yard. I mean, I'm sure he could run farther. It just offensive linemen when they catch like a yeah. almost interception, they he, don't tend to he run wanted very far. Watkins. I don't remember his first name. He wanted Watkins to score probably more than Watkins wanted to score when he picked up that fumble in the Florida game. Oh, Desmond 21. Watson. 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 Yeah. Watson. He wanted him to score so bad. You know, I have a mini rant on that. Yeah. So Florida, and, and you know, it's okay for them to do that. You know, they put out that social graphic. media graphic. Yeah. That was, and that's, that was a, a little, little tasteless, bush, you man. Know, yeah, okay. So so they, yeah, and, and you earn it, so, but they put the graphic up saying rattled. Yeah. And and they had the 415-pound player um, stiff-arming Spencer Rattler. Yeah, who's and, like a buck 60. Right, and I kind of wanted to respond and be like, Spencer tackled. He tackled him. <laughs> you know? Yeah, like, he, he went down pretty, like, Spencer got him to the ground pretty easily. Yeah. Like, I mean, he's, was, he's made several brave plays this season. Like, you could make a business decision on that, or, you know, there was one play a couple of weeks ago where he was, like, diving for a first down. Yeah. It's like, that's not really what you're supposed to do, but <laughs> you at least give him credit for trying really hard. Yeah. I don't know. That, that graphic, eh. You know, it's a, I'm not trying to be the class well, did y'all police. See the but, one where he, like, superimposed him over a lot of different, like, sceneries. It was like him like running through space and like running oh, alongside a train in an old western or something. Him being Watson, huh? not Spencer. Yes. Yeah. Yes, um, I thought I'm. I think most like you're gonna have to work hard to offend me with a graphic. 
not that I was offended, but I was like, man, that's a little, you didn't jump way over the line, but you sort of eased your toe over the line to, to pretty much name an opponent's player. Yeah, you don't see people go there most of the time, which is probably for a reason. Yeah, like but. you can you can be, like you earn it. Like Carolina has gone, you know, last year, uh, the Josh Van, you know, he's that, open. That's where this comes from, I think. In, yeah, in terms he's of open, fair play, I yeah, guess. he's open for, for three hours. But yeah. they didn't. They didn't stick the DB who was covering him yeah. into that video. If they had, would you have been mad? Probably not. Yeah. <laughs> let's let's be honest. Uh, 803-404-6100. Um, we've been talking about Pete Limbo, uh, Broyles finalist Pete Limbo. I want to talk about the other part of this. Because the reason that most teams don't have a special teams coordinator is because you have other position coaches. Everybody is dedicated. Like you're, you're, you're giving something up somewhere. I want to explore this a little more with South Carolina's current coaching staff next. It's the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour. You hear that? That's the sound of fresh bacon sizzling on the grill here at Eggs Up Grill. Hear that? That's one of our new delicious grilled melt sandwiches. And that's a burger hot off the grill ready to be served. Mm-hmm. And that's the sound of it being served. At Eggs Up Grill, we serve tasty lunches like mac and cheese bowls, sandwiches, salads, wraps, plus all our delicious brunch dishes. Here you go. Enjoy your lunch. Hear that? That's us being happy to see you. Eggs Up Grill. It's everything to make you smile. Presented by Firehouse Subs. Founded by Firemen with Pearson Fowler, Chris Clark, and Wes Mitchell on the home of the Gamecocks. 107.5 The Game. 1141 Wednesday morning. Welcome back into the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour. Pearson, Wes, Chris here with you. Talking Carolina football. Uh, got to hear from a head coach and several players yesterday. Coordinators today. No Pete Limbo, actually. I saw his face on the graphic for like the upcoming live on YouTube thing. But uh, he was last week. Not going to be going in this week. But he is a Royals finalist. Um, maybe, maybe he'll poke his head in there and say, hey. I don't know. Yeah, I'm- yeah well, all right. So the email... Does not have limbo on it. The um, the YouTube thing not only has his face on it, but also has it in the description. So I don't, I don't know. I feel like I trust the email more. I do. Yeah, the email is like the official yeah document. Um, however, but Pete can just pop it, and he's a Broyles finalist. He can. Yeah, he can, we he can, always want to hear from Pete. Yeah, he can carve out five. Normally, minutes if it's he wants every to. other week. Yeah, but. It's be a good be a good week to hear from Pete. Do you have the special teams thing still pulled up in front of you? I do. Because I got a text wondering how Carolina is not first in field goal efficiency. Uh, it says unless they're including extra points, haven't missed a field goal, and two for two on fake field goals. So who who's better than Carolina in that category? Um, if you give me a moment, I can tell you. I didn't they have a bad snap on one field goal? I know they've hit every field goal that's gone up. Oh, oh man, like they, they dinged him for, for a bad that? snap, wow. even if it went in. We said that at I mean, the same time. I mean, guys, I don't know how they come up with this. Crap. <laughs> yeah, no, you're the special team. Like, you got the stats. No, I'm. I don't know what .85 means you in this came context. Up with these metrics. Um, NC State is second in field goal efficiency. Uh, Arkansas State is third. It's the only good thing they they're good at. I think and Corey Rucker. Stanford is number one. They're uh, struggling this year with Butch Jones. Uh, that's Stanford. definitely just an academic bias, then. <laughs> I don't trust. I don't know, guys. Anymore. I'm just. I just know Carolina's good. I have one more special team stat. Yeah. So the Broyles Award list that Wes referenced earlier has 
Um, it has about, I don't know, this is very quick math. It has like 40 guys on it. I think it's I 51. Know. 51, there you go. Only two dedicated special teams coordinators. Pete Limbo number, is one of them, and Brian Mason from Notre Dame, who's also been really good at special teams. Yeah, he's been good. The NC State guy um, has been really good as well. They're, they were in the top five on these this season and last season. Hmm. Very good. Protect Pete Limbo NC at all NC State's costs. defensive coordinator made it, but apparently not special teams coach. Hmm. Rolls list. There you go. Yeah. So you have 10 assistant coaches. Quarterbacks, running backs, offensive line, tight ends, wide receiver, running back, defensive tackle, defensive end, linebacker, corner, safety, special teams. That's 12 groups. So there's you, you get creative in how you divvy those things up. Um, and you are sort of making a sacrifice. Shane Beamer, he said this uh, when he hired Pete Limbo last year and reiterated it yesterday when he was talking about how special these special teams have been. Basically said if he wasn't going to hire Pete Limbo, he was going to do the special teams himself. He's, he said that several times. So there, there's like the acknowledgement that you don't hire someone like that just to hire somebody like that because you are making a sacrifice somewhere else. Which brings me to a curious talking point. Hale McGranahan asked uh, Shane Beamer about this specifically on a Sunday teleconference. Shane kind of dismissed it, kind of gave a non-answer. But Clayton White is the linebacker coach, at least in name. There have been some rumors that he's maybe not really coaching the linebackers, that it might be a grad assistant Whatever. Whether he is or he isn't, I do think it's fair to wonder, is that the best use of your defensive coordinator's time to also be like specifically focused on one position, and especially considering the Carolina's linebackers have underperformed this year? Is there... I, I don't know how creative you can get, and like I said, there is a limitation, and, and Torian Gray already coaches the defensive backs. They don't have safeties and corners like they did with Will Muschamp, but is, do you know if... like, Is there any momentum to get like a more full-time linebacker coach, and where else would you consolidate sort of to free Clayton up and also to get a position group that's been underperforming a little more attention yeah I'll say first of all uh to, to give people a little bit of context I mean every I would dare say just about every staff in the country has some like little different tweak that makes the way they structured it different than say this team and then this team like you do have to get a little bit creative and mm -hmm. you know I, I think it is pretty common I think for most defensive coordinators to also have a position as well. Um, you know, I I would say part of this, though, is that right now, so if you have 10, Limbo is special teams only, you know, there's going to be a difference in the number of offensive guys and defensive guys. You know, so there's more offensive assistants than there are defensive assistants right now. Mm -hmm. So another way you could have done it would have been potentially, you know, to give Limbo a position and then that would free up another spot and then Clayton White becomes just a straight-up walk-around, yeah. um, you know, coordinator. They, there was talk when they were hiring Torian Gray that Torian Gray might have, like, cornerbacks and then Clayton White would, would handle safeties or, or vice versa mm -hmm. just because Clayton... Um, a, a lot of his career has been in the secondary. Right. And, and that, you know, some teams, I don't think this is as common these days, some teams have a defensive line coach who handles tackles and ends. It is more and more common, even though we think of those positions together, to split those up. Mm -hmm. um, so just yeah, to be, I, I'd never heard of that being split before like five years ago, and now I feel like everybody has to split. Because they're, they're such different 
approaches in what you ask an interior guy versus an edge guy to do. And uh, so, so Jimmy Lindsey is by name Carolina's defensive line coach, but he really, as far as position goes, coaches the interior defensive lineman. Sterling Lucas, you know, some people still call him the outside linebackers coach. He may even be titled that on the official website, but he is pretty much an edges slash defensive ends coach. Mm-hmm. Um, so then you have Clayton with linebackers and the entire defense. And then Torian Gray right. with the secondary. So some teams you will see will sort of tack tight ends onto tight tight ends seems to be tacked onto different spots. Sometimes it's running backs and tight ends. Hmm. It seems like you see some special teams coordinators that also coach tight ends. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, maybe you tack that onto O line. I think that's a a good bit to put on your O line coach, but. Um, Tight ends and running backs, at least offensively, seems to be the one that sometimes gets grouped in yeah. with, with other spots. I guess I'm just thinking, like, and, and, and however true the, uh, the the speculation is or is not that Clayton White's not really coaching the linebackers, it just seems like for a group that obviously needs that reinforcement, if Clayton is, is it worth maybe seeing if Sterling Lucas can do that and letting Clayton White work with the edges just to get a different look there? Um, and, and if it is something that he's, you know, maybe more of the responsibilities are falling on the shoulders of a grad assistant, Shane Beamer said it's not the case, but it wasn't a, wasn't exactly a straightforward answer. Like it, it, that, that's just been such a problem area for Carolina this year. And when that's the DC's responsibility, it makes you wonder, like, is he better as a DC as a position coach or is he not spending all of his time there or is it worth it to give somebody, somebody else a look with those guys? Yeah. And I, and I would say the run issues, um, Go go beyond just the linebackers, but um, but yeah, there's certainly we've seen way too much evidence just total run defense um, and issues there. I should say way too much evidence of issues there um, to not acknowledge that that there is something that's going to have to be cleaned up and fixed and tweaked going into the off season. I think as far as that goes, I I don't know what that exact answer is. Like anything is probably multiple things that you're going to have to sort of dive into. But if they are going to take another step as a defense and as a program, um, you know, you're, you're going to have to find ways to, to slow your opponent's rushing attack. 803-404-6100. Love Chevy phone line, text line, Twitter, at Pearson Fowler, at Chris Clark, uh, excuse me, at GC Chris Clark, and at West Mitchell GC. Wrapping things up here on a Wednesday edition of the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour next. It's the Game Central Takeover Hour. Presented by Firehouse Subs. Founded by Firemen with Pearson Fowler, Chris Clark, and Wes Mitchell. On the home of the Gamecocks. 107.5 The Game. Six minutes in front of noon on a Wednesday morning. It's the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour. A few minutes here. A couple of your thoughts from the text line that we'll get to. R.E. Pete Limbo and the special teams greatness as Carolina special teams coordinator has been nominated for a Broyles Award. Very curious to see how far in that list he makes it or in that, you know, they'll, they'll keep whittling it down. Very curious to see how far he makes it. Uh, first, though, Wes wants to remind everybody about Kendall Walsh. Yes, uh, my good friend Kendall Walsh. She's my realtor. She can be yours as well. Give her a call, 803-414-3590. She is here locally with the Moore Company. Work with Walsh at gmail.com, at work with Walsh on Twitter and Instagram. If you recognize that name, uh, she did used to work with the Gamecock Club. She was the first ever female assistant uh, director of the Gamecock Club. Huge Gamecock fan, huge supporter. Rumor is she may at some point, guys, be joining us 
for a buy or sell. So we're looking forward to that. Uh, she may be our special guest picker here soon. But uh, she can help you through this process, whether you're trying to buy a house, sell a house. Uh, no obligation phone call, 803-414-3590. She'll walk you through that process just like she did for me and my fiance. And again, if you are buying a house, um, it doesn't cost you anything to hire a realtor because she makes her commission off of the person selling the house. So keep that in mind. If you're in the market, she'll walk you through it. Uh, again, Kendall Walsh, The Moore Company. Uh, we have an Iowa State fan listening. That's exciting, isn't it? Welcome. Yeah. It says, Iowa State divides special teams up instead of having a de- uh, dedicated coach, and we're absolutely terrible. <laughs> so there you go. Appreciate that. Love it. By the way, Stanford's kicker is 14 for 14. Uh, so, and Mitch is what, 9 for 9 or 10 for 10? It's like 9 for 9, 10 for 10. So that, that's, I mean, everybody at the top there probably has just hit every field goal, and it's a matter of yeah. how many they've hit. Yeah. Uh, Albert gets the last word on the text line today. says he thinks Carolina should just kneel the ball first through third downs and then let Kai Kroger do his thing on fourth. Says I'm kidding, but I'm not kidding. What do y'all think? Oof. Well, should Kai Kroger start at quarterback over Luke Doty over Spencer Rattler? No, no. But I would love to see if they just faked a punt every time they punted. <laughs> I I don't want Kai to mess up his stats. Seriously, so yeah. He he would he would throw an incompletion or a non touchdown at some point. Do we really know that though? He could <laughs> That's be like, who was it? Carson Beck. <laughs> For Georgia, who completed all of his passes except for one? No, it wasn't Beck. Who was it? Grayson Lambert. Oh, Grayson. Yeah. Lambert. You never remember the name Grayson Lambert, do you? Yeah, no, it's it's not worth remembering. But that was quite a moment. Um, <laughs> Albert, thank you for that. In all seriousness, the uh, the Clemson game from a couple of years ago, I did go through and I and I kind of did an exercise of would Carolina have lost by less if they just kneeled every time instead of actually trying to play offense. That was one of the BMAC years. And the answer was like, yeah, yeah, Clemson wouldn't have had enough time to score as many points as they did. So, Albert, you might be on to something. Don't think that's going to be the strategy, but uh, who knows? Stranger things have happened. 803. Oh, uh, no, wait. Yeah, you don't need that anymore. <laughs> we got to go. Here. We got to go. We're done. I'm tired of talking. No, we'll, we'll be back tomorrow to talk more about the Tennessee game. Actually, the Tennessee game, probably. Appreciate you all listening, being a part of the show as always. And the halftime show with Jay and Terry is coming up next. Ross Matthews talks to celebrities, friends, and people with interesting stories to tell. Who's saying, hello, Ross, this week? Guy Fieri. I have these two crazy aunts, and they both used to say to me, you should be on TV. That went on for years as I was kidding, but I never took that. So when I got the shot of the Food Network, which I was kind of pushed by my friends to do, yeah. it turned into this thing, and uh, I already did what I wanted to do. So I thought everything else is just kind of like, let's just have fun with it. Hello, Ross. Available on YouTube or wherever you listen. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.